Memphis, 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 Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. What up, Grizz Nation, and welcome back to another episode of Grizz 901. I am your host, Daniel Greer, and this is another Throwback Thursday. And we're going to bring you Monica McNutt of ESPN. She was so gracious to come on the show way back on January 31st. So it's obviously right into the middle of the season, and she's talking a lot about the Grizzlies and who they are. A lot about John ja Morant. She loved the flyby king uh, that was given to Desmond Bain. And we also talk a little bit about the New York Knicks because she does cover the New York Knicks. So we get into a lot with Monica. And so I'm hoping to have her back on, especially when she's not sick. She was super sick, super under the weather. We were having to put off the episode recording for two or three days because she could not get her voice back. So she had a, uh, a nice cup of tea. She was trying to get her voice and she kind of struggling the whole time while we were doing the interview. But she was so good to come on and give us so much of the energy, even under the weather. She gave us all her energy. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get on to the show and Monica McNutt. Enjoy. All right, today's interview, we have with us a former Georgetown baller. She works for the ESPN, but most importantly, she was the one of 17 that took the Grizzlies <laughs> over the Warriors last year. She is Monica McNutt. What's up, Monica? Daniel, it's so good to be here. Memphis and Grizzlies fans have shown so much love since that selection. I can see it. I can see it, Daniel. I can see the greatness upon y'all. <laughs> We love it. We love you and Big Perk. I have to give him the shout out because it was the two of you that kind of took the Grizzlies over the Warriors last year during the play-in. And ever since then, I think we've embraced you as one of our own, you and Big Perk, because y'all two have been, you know, sharing the good graces of the Grizzlies since that time. It's been awesome. It is a privilege um, one of my roles is a New York studio analyst, but when Memphis comes to town, I will not hide uh, my affection for this squad. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so I have one personal question. Do you What's still that? play? You know, so I moved to New York in October. Prior to that, obviously, we were living in the pandemic. Um, prior to the pandemic, when I had the time, like coming in and out of LA Fitness, just maintaining my personal fitness, I would hop in the gym with the guys, like in the mornings when I had the yeah. time. Um, I haven't had the time so much now. Um, maybe when the weather warms up this spring, there's actually a court not far from my place in New York. So I'm open to it. I like it. Well, you can't take the baller out, right? You're always going to have no. it. And that's, always there. and that's what I do to stay in shape, whatever shape I am now, my dad bod. But uh, I love playing basketball because it doesn't feel like a workout. So it's great. I, I'm with you. I agree with you. And you get those competitive juices flowing a little yep. bit. It's a little different from like the around the horn first take version of competitive juices. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, well, we love watching you everywhere, but we got to talk a little bit about Grizzlies. So what made you take the Grizzlies over the Warriors last year? Well, specifically last year, Dale, and I know you remember this, they just played the Warriors to finish the regular season game. Right. And I kind of been, I've been a fan of Ja. I will admit when Ja got drafted, I was like, mm, 
I get it, but is this going to translate? And so he was a guy that I was super curious about um, as he joined the league. And so just kind of following and watching the personality of that team, the pieces of that team in terms of so many NBA prototype bodies, um, and then the energy that they played with, the kind of chaos that they created on the defensive end. And so last year in particular, watching the end of the regular season game, they were right there. I think people forget how closely they played the Warriors until Dylan Brooks fouled out. Yep. Um, and Steph was, you know, he's starting to look tired then in terms of his incredible shooting and carrying that Warriors squad. And so combined with what I saw schematically, knowing that Dylan Brooks fouled out, personally, I know personally coming up in the Big East, having an opportunity to play UConn, the giant that they are three times. As a competitor, there's nothing more, there's nothing you want more than a chance to run it back while the adjustments are fresh in my mind. And so I just felt like this was literally, and I think I said this on SportsCenter, this was the best implement film session now opportunity that the Memphis Grizzlies could have had. And so they were able to make all the necessary adjustments and we know what the results were. Yeah. And that's the NBA. The NBA is a game of adjustments. Uh, Any sport is the game of adjustments, but the NBA is so critical. And that's where the coaches really earn their money is back-to-back matchups in the playoffs, but also halftime matchups. When you can just make those little B tweaks, it's all about who makes the last adjustment. And so I actually predicted on our podcast that whoever won that first game was going to actually lose the second because that's how it always is. Is If you get the better of the team, usually the second time around, there's a flip and you can't adjust quickly enough. Uh, But now let's transition to a little bit about this year. And John Morant is now an all-star starter but he's also seventh in NBA jersey sales this year, which is awesome. So my question is, what is it that resonates with Ja and the the rest of the NBA fan base outside of Memphis? Because we know what he is here, but just outside, like how much is he resonating out there? There's two things, I think, Daniel. One, Ja has an every man's quality, right? He's not 6'10", 210, been an athletic specimen his entire life like he's very humble beginnings I think his dad is the coolest dude out like Murray State the whole story and so there's an every every man every person quality to Ja right now granted he is still a freakish athlete right but you know if you saw him walking down the street you wouldn't necessarily say oh that must be a pro athlete right um and then two I think his age right I think that when you really think about it like Steph, uh, who else is on that, that all-star team? LeBron, obviously, was 37. Steph, Andrew's sort of a new guy out in the West. But, like, those guys are my age. And not that I feel like I'm old, but, you know, 32, yeah. There's you can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, although we're seeing guys play much longer because of the way they're able to care for their bodies. But Ja, logically, is, ne- is next up in terms of his connectivity to the fan base. I know that he's gone on record talking about other issues, bigger issues than just playing basketball. And when I look at this generation of NBA fans, his, his ability to connect to me, mm-hmm. it stands out. And of course, we haven't even mentioned what he does on the floor. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is I think his connection with the fans. Uh, if you see the, the new Funko Pop, whatever that's coming out, uh, that I am obviously too old to have, but I have kids. And so now I will make sure that uh, they have one, which I've already pre-ordered. Uh, but it just his Funko Pops already selling out uh, over the likes of Luca and other players. And so I can kind of see what he's doing. Uh, but his game is going to another level this year and something that I've kind of watched uh, just very closely. 
Um, what have you seen in kind of the next step that is John Morant now? What is it that you've seen a difference of just over the past year or two years or whatever it might be that you've seen in Ja? I'll start pace to me. Yes. And I think we go back to that play game last year. And I can remember the very minute conversation in the Twitter streets about he didn't even have that great of a game if you looked at the box score. But you had to watch him dictate pace and pick his spots in that playing game. And I think that is 100% carried over this year. While he has given us some of the most explosive dunks and blocks, yep. uh, Circa versus the Lakers, this season, when you watch the Grizzlies, he's got a handle on the pace of the game that I think um, precedes him. Like, he's too young as a, guy, as a gentleman and as, as a player in this league to already have such a grasp on the pace in terms of, I'm going to explode here. I'm going to keep my dribble alive here. I can distribute in this position. Um, and I understand what this team needs. Now, credit Taylor Jenkins, and I love a team that lives in a little bit of mayhem. When I think of the Memphis Grizzlies identity, if you give them a chance to run their gun, they are, right? But I think the duality of this squad in terms of, yeah, that's our bread and butter, but if you make us sit down, we can do that too, is something that I don't know. Like, that's the versatility that has them in the top four in the West because that's not something that every team can do well. And I don't care who you are. I say this all the time. At any level of basketball, you need to be able to get easy baskets. Because while you may have the ability to come down and use up the whole shot clock, that's just tough. That's just tough. Teams scout too well. Guys defend. They know habits, especially when we start talking series. And so not only do the Grizzlies get easy baskets, but they also get intense energy off these easy baskets. Like, it is a signature to who they am. And that energy, you see it carry over on the defensive side of the basketball. And that's why they are not in the league right now. Yeah, and I think that's the defensive end, like you talked about, was their biggest flaw early in the season. They just were not figuring it out, and it was, you know, pace of play. And in the past years, the, the Grizzlies kind of did the roller coaster deal in Josh's career because when he played with that, that, that pace, when he was playing downhill, they were able to be such a better team. And this year, that is exactly what you're, you know, what you've hit it nail on the head because it is when he's getting downhill like he is every game now, they're so dangerous. Uh, but two players I want to ask your opinion on uh, with the Grizzlies, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. We call him the Block Panther here, uh, but also Desmond Bain. Yeah, Desmond Bain, who is the the Flyby King. Uh, okay. Two little nicknames. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts on them? Because they're both uh, young and up and coming as well. All right, so I got a shout out to Jaron as like in the name of Hoya Saxa, bleeding blue and gray is like mm-hmm. sort of kind of my little cousin, kind of. Both his parents obviously were Hoyas. I think the world of his parents, his dad is with the Westchester Knicks. His mom works with the WNBA Players Association. Um, Terry's amazing. We do a bunch of stuff together with the WNBA. So it's really cool to see the success that Jaron is having. Um, I think Jaron, I think when Jaron got hurt, I don't want to say he was forgotten. Yeah. But I do think people, he wasn't top of mind. Yeah. And just by virtue of injury. But I remember Jared coming into the league and he's a he's an NBA prototype. Like he's the prototype in terms of the size, the skill set and the versatility. And so it's funny because as you were talking about John getting downhill, I think it's one thing to have a player that can do that. But when you have multiple guys that either can do it on their own in spots or are running alongside John. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think for Jaron and Desmond, their skill sets perfectly suit Ja. And then you add their ability and their commitment, I should say, on the defensive end. Like, 
that so much of what this team does happens on the defensive end, and then they just make offense look easy. So I think Jaron, listen, Jaron's going to have, I mean, so many of the Memphis Grizzlies players will, but Jaron's going to have a double-digit amount of years in this league. Like, he's going to be great. I think he has all-star potential if he gets in the right spot. Desmond, I don't know if he has the same sort of all-star potential, but I was talking to, who was I talking to the other day? That's one of these basketball folks that I talked to. But we were talking about this idea of, like, knowing your role and how elite you can be in your role. It may have even been Shaq on Thursday night talking on um, TNT. But I think people forget, like, if you do your thing well, as Des does, he's going to defend, he's going to knock down threes, he's going to crash the glass. Like, do your thing well. If everybody does their thing well, we become a really good team. You know what I mean? And so those two in particular, to me, um, are guys that know their role and they play with the same kind of energy and swag. Well, they, I should say, they feed off the energy and swag that uh, Ja brings because I think Jaron's a little bit more laid back. Although Ja's pretty laid back off the court, yeah. though. Yeah, they, uh, so all three of those complement each other very well on mm-hmm. the court, but also off the court because, uh, you know, I, I interviewed Tom Izzo uh, this week and he was talking about how much of, you know, the positivity and what Jaron brings to the big smile that he has and the, the, the carefree attitude. Uh, he's he's turning into more of a guy who will go after your neck because of Ja mm-hmm. and jaw a little bit more of the playful having fun and then Desmond Bain on the court he spreads them out right but he also has that little bit of fire and they all have the chip on their shoulder uh, mentality which Memphis does and so we love it we love them and so I had to ask about that uh, the Hoya pride right you know it's gonna it's gonna yeah. Keep uh, but let's transition over to the Knicks a little bit. Uh, so you cover the Knicks. Uh, and so I want to ask them uh, just it's a simple question. They've struggled this year compared to last. So what is holding them back? Ooh, then that's that's loaded. <coughs> I think I don't know how much time we have for that answer. <laughs> right. But to, to keep it succinct. Um, huh. <laughs> To keep it succinct. Keep your job. Keep your job. I'm right. I'm going to keep my job. I'm just going to go with two things. Consistency and leadership. Like, that has woefully been missing this year. Um, and I don't know quite the answer to drumming up consistently. I mean, you've got a game early in the season, what, the overtime game versus Boston. Evan Fournier is terrific. It's the overtime game winner. I mean, R.J. Barrett has a game winner in his bag this year. Um, I The obvious point, and I think it has made its rounds nationally and locally, is that Julius has not been as productive as he was last year. While that's part of it, I do also think that that's a slight oversimplification. Mm-hmm. Um, the roster has shifted a bit this year. Um, obviously, you're not playing in a pandemic season. I don't know that this group has found consistency with its current pieces. Because you look at some of the additions this year, and you would think that there's more firepower. Right. And in theory, there is. But again, they've not found the consistency in terms of activating that firepower. Um, and then leadership. Like, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, I'm not sure on a given night who's the guy that's going to rally the troops or even hold the team accountable. Yeah, that's, a, that's the big thing, is if you don't have the leadership, um, you know, such as, like, you know, Todd Gibson can, can offer, um, it, it, that is really kind of the biggest thing. He's still there, but what is his role in the team? And so – who knows? Because, you know, looking at Julius Randle and his stats, he's shooting, you know, obviously he's scoring less points, which is a big issue. Right. But but six points less per game, uh, that just that just tells you really what you what, what it is, because those six points, they're huge. Because I was looking at and one guy I want to talk about 
is R.J. Barrett, but I was looking at his stats, and they've been consistent his three years in the league. He scored three mm-hmm. less points in his rookie year, but that's it. So he's mm-hmm. done the exact same points, rebounds, assists, for almost three years in a row. So I know he's going to go, and I know he's going to play well, and he's played consistent, but I don't know about the team around him. And I know they've had injuries a little bit this year, such as everybody has, so I don't want to give excuses. Uh, but I think, I think it is uh, the consistency, but also it is leadership because who's leading that team? Now, Kimball Walker's mm-hmm. out, so that's one of the biggest things. Uh, but I do want to ask about RJ because I am a Duke fan. Uh, okay. And so I have to ask about RJ, and then we'll ask a little bit about uh, Cam Reddish. Uh, but what is it uh, that you see out of uh, RJ for him to take that next leap? Because like I just talked about the consistency three years in a row, where is that next leap going to happen? It's funny when we talk about Ja and some of that swag. Um, I, I think RJ is developing a little bit of an alter ego, which is a good thing. Um, so many of these players in the league are just really nice guys. Like they're right. nice people. And the reality of that is it doesn't translate well when it comes to being a competitor, particularly someone who's tasked with leading the team. But over this last, um, outside of the, horrible output i believe in miami wednesday night <laughs> rj had been on like some crazy streak where he had i want to say five 30 point games in like 13 ball games um so he, and i I've, I've said this on the broadcast it's a tremendous compliment when folks are like he's got a great basketball iq and the game comes to him so easily right for about any player but it 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 becomes a double-edged sword when you find yourself standing in the corner waiting for the swing swing, right? Relying on somebody else getting you in action. And so as of late, it feels like RJ's done a much better job of forcing the issue in a smart basketball way. Right. I had a coach that used to always say, be, be selfish in the team way. And that is, if you have the ability to score and help us win, you need to activate those abilities. So for me, everything for RJ starts in the paint. One of the things we've marveled at, marveled at his first two years, particularly his second year, is his strength and ability to finish through contact. But you never activate that strength and ability to finish through contact if you're just waiting literally on the corner in the wing for the ball to find you. And so the next step for me, for RJ, has to be to continue to create. Like, he has to be a creator. Of course, you want him to shoot a little bit better percentage-wise, and I think that can come. But all of nothing comes from a standstill. Like, he has to yeah. continue to be a creator. Um, and be aggressive. And early this season, Dan, he's talked about wanting to be the defensive guy for this team. We've seen it in spurts. Uh, when they played the Bulls the first time, he had the terrific defense on DeMar DeRozan down the stretch to force him into a very difficult shot that could have been a game winner. Um, but I don't know that we've seen that part of his game consistently yet. And so, again, that C word, dirty little word, we all would be better in our lives if we could activate it, whether we're talking about sports or not. And that would be consistency. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And looking at his numbers, just kind of uh, just off the top of my head, um, he shoots pretty well at a high percentage uh, with his field goals. Um, obviously, he's not taking a ton of threes, but he's still taking, you know, between four to seven most games. And there, and his and here lately, his percentage has not been bad. He's shooting 43 percent uh, just in the I think it's in the month of January. So that yeah. is a good number. He's, he's starting to trend the right direction. He's shooting 45% overall uh, from the field goal line. So do you think that he needs to take more of an ownership in the offense where he's getting the ball more and saying, hey, yes, Randall, if you're not playing as well, is it mainly that 
everything that Randall was taking, Randall takes less shots. RJ just takes more shots. Is it that simple, the direction? I don't know if it's that simple in terms of shots, but I do know that Julius is better off the ball. Yeah. Okay. And if, if Julius is off the ball, it gives the offense a little bit more of a chance to have motion and action in which ultimately you see RJ possibly making a cut or a read, which he's tremendous at. Right. And yeah. then the offense has a little bit more flow to it. Uh, I mean, it's no secret. The Knicks still need an answer at that point guard spot. And I think that that would help both of those guys in particular, but I don't know if it's as simple as this, an even shot swap out. I think it's kind of how you get to those shots. Okay. Um, and RJ, if we're going to talk about the two of them, RJ as of late has done a better job of getting to his spots where Julius is really struggling. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, and that's how it is. All right. It's, it's that it's that simple. Like you just said of getting to your shot. It's not the shot. Uh, it's just not the number of shots. It's actually the quality yeah. of shot that you're taking. Uh, so Cam Reddish, they just got him. Uh, can he be a good addition? Is this a better fit for him than it was in Atlanta? Damn, we we gotta wait and find out. <laughs> like, I, candidly, the most exciting part about the Cam Reddish trade initially when it happened to me was Kevin Knox being moved because Kevin Knox was a bit of an enigma, and it felt like you didn't really give that much for a guy that had a ton of promise going into Duke, coming out of Duke, but after some of the enthusiasm settles, he's another six-day wing, like, in that, a point guard. Yep. Um, can he? Sure. Will he? We got to wait and see. Like, if he wants to be, um, and Jeff Van Gundy made this comparison the other day, if he's going to give you Reggie Bullock, who was a trusted 3 and D guy when he was with the Knicks, then terrific. There's definitely going to be a spot for him. But Evan's on the floor, RJ's on the floor, those two come to mind immediately. Alec Burks is trusted. Again, same kind of size. So you got to wait and see. There's, there's definitely some wait and see there. Yeah. And that's, that's my same opinion because everybody thought that it was such a better position when realistically, I think he fits in the exact same way as he did it in Atlanta. I think they already have that player there. So I don't know if that was the best spot, but you get to go be with your boy. So yeah, I, I see why he definitely made that decision. Uh, but but last two questions. These are playoff yeah. questions. I want your predictions. Don't back away from them. Don't be scared. Okay. Will the, will the Knicks make the playoffs overall? Include the play-in if you'd like. Do they make the playoffs this year? <laughs> I think this is a – oh, God damn. I think they can get in the play I do think they can get in the play-in. Okay. Uh, I think they got to go on a run. They definitely got to go on a run. The schedule does them no favorites, no favors, I should say. But you got to play the game. You got to see the season out. Knock on all the wood, not wishing any energy injuries on any other teams. But, like, things happen. Uh, Derrick Rose is going to come back. And last year they rattled off, I want to say it was like a 16-4 run, and that kind of propelled them. And so I'm not – it's not complete doom and gloom. Uh yeah, but the East is tough. The East is yeah. tough this year, and I don't think anybody had Cleveland potentially being as good as they're going to be. Um, I don't know if Boston's going to make a move at the trade deadline that will steady their ship and they start to pull away from the pack. Um, I think the Wizards are probably the team <coughs> that the Knicks are looking to keep pace with. But when you really look at those standings, they're like 
it's still reasonable to think that they could get into that six, seven, well, maybe not six, seven, eight for sure. So. Yeah, it, it's going to be tough. So you have Charlotte, Boston, Toronto, and Washington as, as of this recording. Uh, and you have the Knicks and the Hawks and the Hawks have looked better as of late as well. They're both knock on the door. So that race of six teams just to the seven through the 12 area in the East is going to be crazy uh, going forward. Uh, so last one we'll end on is our Grizzlies. And I'm going to have to ma- ask you to make a prediction. They look to be making the playoffs this year, right? So they're going to be in the top four uh, when this comes out, I would imagine. Do they win a first round series? That's simple. I think so. I do think they'll win a first round series. I'm going to hedge it a little bit on the matchups. I agree. Like, that's what I was going to ask you about because that's the biggest thing for me is because depending on who they play, that could be a whole nother story. Yeah. Like, uh, and I, let me see now. Now you got me thinking, Dan, if, if they pull Dallas, I'm nervous. Me too. Um, I'm trying to think, let's see, Western conference, NBA, yes. uh, you could pull up the ESPN app. You know, I should be I should be plugging my job, right? Uh, let's see. This is the Eastern Conference. I don't even know what just came up first. All right, so if they pull, what are they three right now? Yeah, they they would. So pull. they get the they get a play. That would make them get a play in winner, right? No, no. Uh, the, the three would give you Denver as currently uh, right now. Got it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be very contingent on matchups. Uh, I don't like Dallas or Denver for them in the first round. Yeah. And, you know, I, the standings are going to be what, it, what it's, what it's going to be. You can't control that. But I don't like Dallas or Denver for them in the first round. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. And I'm even scared of the Lakers, not because that they're good. They have LeBron. And that's, that's scary. Even though I feel like the Grizzlies do match up better uh, against a team like that, I, I do feel like Dallas is their number one nemesis. And then Denver, just because Jokic can be Jokic, and that would scare me. But uh, I believe that they could get out of the first round as well. Um, I think if we had to rank, like, least favorites, I actually think I might put the Lakers ahead of Denver. Same. Like, it'll be Dallas. Don't see Dallas. Don't see L.A. Don't see Denver. So, of those three, I'd rather them see Denver. I think their speed could pose problems for Denver. Yeah, and it all depends on what, Jamal Murray coming back. Michael Porter yeah. Jr. coming back. Who knows, you know, what they even look like if they do come back. So I think there's a lot of questions surrounding that Denver uh, team. Uh, but, Monica, this has been a blast. Um, yeah. We've had – I want to ask so many questions. And so this morning I was trying to whittle them down because I want to get some Knicks love in there. The Grizzlies play the Knicks uh, the 2nd of February. That's going to mm-hmm. be a good matchup. And so I can't wait to see that. Uh, it's going to be at the Knicks, correct? Yes. Correct. Here in the garden. Are you going to be covering them? I will be there. Well, we can't wait. Uh, We don't want to watch your ballet sports or whatever y'all have on there, but we'll watch ours. But we'll look (laughs) for you. We'll look for you. (laughs) Sounds good. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, And and my last question I have is, who do we need to talk to to get you and Big Perk covering a playoff game in Memphis in the Grindhouse? We got to have both of you. That's all we want. We don't need anybody else. I don't know. Honestly, Dan, it's funny. I don't know if they would send us because we've clearly lost our objectivity when it comes to Memphis. I don't know if they'd send us to actually cover the game, but we might be able to finesse our way there 
for like some segments or something cool and fun. Um, but I'm working on it. I'm with you. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> we can't wait. We love you. Uh, shout out to Big Perk as well. Tell him we said hello. Uh, we're big, we're big fans down here of both of you and you will be forever indebted to the city because, uh, you're the one, one of the first ones ever to show some love to the 901. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan.